<laughs> Welcome to episode 46 of Blue Jays Happy Hour. I'm Nick Ashbourne, joined as always by Andrew Stoughton. We are coming to you a few uh, days after the Blue Jays exit from the playoffs, and I was inspired for the, you know, you know, episode will probably become tangential and wander all over the place as usual, but for a, for a basic theme, I was inspired by a tweet I got from, uh, well, not just me, but a lot of people that it was Chris at Bauer J2424 on Twitter, and he just had this list of all the podcasts he'd listened to about the Blue Jays' loss. And just, I'm going to read out some of the titles here. Dealing with heartbreak, baseball is cruel, end-of-season disaster report, post, <laughs> post-season post post-mortem, which is us. Thanks for that, Stone. Difficult no to make it through that one. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of questions for the Blue Jays heading into the off-season. The, blue, the baseball gods are mean. And first of all, you know, my heart goes out to Chris listening to all that content. I'm not sure that's something that I would have had the stomach for. Not that any of those podcasts are bad individually, but man, as a combo pack, that was something else. So I figured maybe we could live up to our name, which is something that we do sometimes, but arguably rarely, <laughs> and do a podcast of pure positivity. Uh, there will be plenty of time to talk about the difficulties the Blue Jays face, the offseason, things that happen this year that have negative ramifications for their future. All of that will get covered. But I felt like maybe this was a moment to inject a little bit of... Um, you know, metaphorical sunshine into the Blue Jays discourse and just drill down on the positives of the 2022 season. How does that sound, Stoughton? Uh, that absolutely works for me. Yeah, because there there were some. It was definitely tough to see in the, the wake of uh, how quickly and horrifically it all ended. Yeah, and, and I think that during the season, the vibe around the team was probably more negative than the results warranted at times. But there were some things. And the first one I want to get to is the catcher situation because it is sort of absurd, you know, uh, with catchers who had 200 plate appearances or more this year, Danny Jansen was number one by WRC plus number, uh, number five was Alejandro Kirk at 129, Jansen at 140. And then Kirk also improved defensively. Like he became uh, at times an everyday starting catcher, essentially, maybe a little bit more DH than some guys have, but he had the framing that everyone talked about. That went up to the 94th percentile. The caught stealing rate, like he's not a great arm guy, but it was actually above league average this year, which I think people wouldn't expect. And one that I don't think enough people talked about is how much better his blocking was. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 2021, he had 338 innings and he had 20 wild pitches or pass balls. And then this year in 654 innings, almost twice as many, he only had 13. So that's a radical improvement. And, you know, he's dealing with some pitchers on the Blue Jays who tend to spike the ball at times as well. We know, uh, you know, Tim Meza famously spiked the ball at that inopportune moment. But there's some guys on this team that have the big breaking balls and the splitters and whatnot. So a lot there. And, you know, Gabriel Moreno, too, showed up in the major leagues, uh, you know, didn't absolutely tear the cover off the ball, but showed relatively well, flashed all the skills. What we're going to end up getting into is this trade chip situation because you kind of have to. But just leaving it with how well these guys performed, it's a position where guys just don't do the sort of things that Blue Jays catchers were doing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, the Jansen one, we do kind of have to uh, dial the the sample size back a bit to get get him onto leaderboards because he's been hurt and that's been an issue for him. Um, You know, Kirk has some questions about long term, how that's all going to work. Uh, but yeah, all those things you said are, are absolutely bang on, and it, it, it is a great 
uh, situation to be in a great, uh, you know, a position of strength for them, uh, especially relative to the rest of the league. Uh, I'd also I'd add that like the Kirk Manoa relationship, and I'm sure we'll talk about Manoa if we're talking about positive things, uh, was really good too. And that 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 I think maybe colors the the trade chip talk as well because I don't know do you want to break that combo up? Uh, because I, there was a great piece um, Leo Morgenstern from Fangraphs wrote about you know the the way that the like the areas that Manoa pitches to and the areas that Kirk has become best at, at, at stealing strikes kind of overlap in a way that, that has helped them, you know, become a successful tandem, I think. And, and I, I don't know if that's enough to, to make Kirk the guy that you keep uh, compared to like what, you know, there will be a lot of interesting questions about that because there's definitely going to be calls on all three of those guys. Um, but yeah, that just underlines what a great position that they are in. And I think that it's easy to forget where we were coming into the year. Like coming into the season, you kind of figured, okay, well, when is Moreno going to do the Kool-Aid man kick down the wall and sort of take control of the situation? Because Jansen had, you know, the end of 2021 was fantastic, but it was very hard to trust he was going to be able to recreate any of that. And Kirk had all these questions surrounding his defense. And even, you know, I think it came to be that a lot of it was bad luck, but even his offense wasn't as good necessarily in 2021. 21 as maybe we thought after that breakout in 2020. So every single one of these players kind of solidified themselves, which is interesting because you, you thought the situation was going to sort of sort itself out. Like somebody was going to be good. Someone was going to get bad. Someone was going to, you know, potentially injure themselves. And I know Jansen did a little bit of that, but instead you got this problem where we've got three really good catchers. who I think any MLB, not any MLB team, but many MLB teams would be satisfied going into season with one of these guys as their starting catcher. And as much as we talked about three-man catcher situations before and Moreno potentially playing some other positions, it seems pretty clear to me, and you know, feel free to get, disagree, but it seems clear to me that it's just not a great allocation of assets to have all of these guys on the team at the same time when you have other needs to fill and they have serious trade value. Yeah, I, I think that's it. And it, it, it's a shame because you know, you'd like to make it fit, but yeah, there's only so many roster spots and and having Moreno in left field or on the infield or having Kirk at DH, you know, takes away the ability to have. So, I mean, Kirk's bat's pretty all right for DH. Like that, that maybe is something that can work and obviously did work a bit this year, but not a right-handed hitter. Um, you know, I, yeah, I think that, I think that, that going down to two of these guys would probably be, you know, in a vacuum would be ideal. I don't know if there's, if they're going to love the way to do it. Uh, obviously a lot of different permutations I talked about on Twitter. I saw you, you, you know, Danny Jansen's only two years away from free agency. So that kind of limits his value uh, on the trade market. Um, you know, you can really go big. You could get something pretty good for Moreno for sure. Kirk too. Uh, Moreno, I mean, would leave you with more of a question mark there and would also, I mean, like I say, would break up the Manoa Kirk uh, uh, combination that works so well. Um but that's a guy who you might regret moving. And Kirk, you kind of feel like maybe he's, you know, uh, just based on all the things we know about, you know, maybe not, maybe not the the guy you worry about six years down the line, but is maybe going to be the better one for the next few years, which is, you know, something that the Blue Jays have to consider because they're sort of they're in they're in their window, even though they've you know only played two playoff games in the last two years. Um, <laughs> there, you know, the, there's a lot there's a lot to be considered there, and yeah, I think that. You know, as as intriguing as it is to have seen Moreno, you know, take some 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 infield and, and maybe play in the infield a bit as well. I can't remember, um, but that's uh, that, that yeah, it just it isn't a good allocation of the of the talent, and it, it's something that they're just they're gonna have to address. I think we thought that a year ago, and they made it work this year. 
largely by keeping Moreno in the minors when a lot of teams probably wouldn't have, but they just didn't have the room for him. Yeah, I, I think the cleanest solution theoretically is that you trade Jansen and then you have Kirk and Moreno as kind of this forever tandem. And Kirk does a lot of his work at DH and Moreno is the defensive guy and you try and get them both in the lineup when you can. And I've talked about this before, like the risks of having two catchers in the lineup at the same time are over stated the vast majority of the time especially in an era where teams have to carry a certain number of position players so you could pinch hit that dh should the worst thing happen we don't need to go too far down that road i think you could keep both of those guys for a long long time together you know four or five years out and then the problem with that especially because they seem to complement each other's strengths the problem with that is like you said uh what are you getting for Danny Jansen? Like you are going to be trading with a competitive team that wants to win now because teams that are more rebuilding just have no interest in a guy with only two years of term. And then are they going to give you a back-end starter? Probably not because those teams desperately need a back-end starter. Are, are they going to give you an outfielder that's that left-handed guy that could do a low center field? Probably not. They need that guy. So maybe you could go to one of the teams that has a depth of bullpen arms and get yourself a bullpen arm for them. But I feel like that's a pretty pointing outcome to say, okay, we've got this surplus and we've got all these guys and we've got a chance to you know, shore up some of the issues we have on our team and what we're going to come away with is a seventh inning guy. Yeah. I, I think that's absolutely right. And I think it, it is hard to see that path, especially, you know, Jansen getting hurt as much too, I think factors in, you know, you can, you can maybe squint and see a guy that other teams would be more interested in, like sort of a more, a greater spectrum of teams. Um, but, but I mean, I don't know that there's, I mean, there's, there's a lot of teams that are full on rebuilding, but yeah, like the pirates aren't going to have a ton of interest in Danny Jansen, but also, but also even just to give a, give him like every day at bats where the Jays can't and maybe, you know, be a guy who they can flip at some point though catchers not great not not a lot of flipping of catchers at the deadline so uh so yeah that, that, i think that would be very very uh disappointing and i think that you know the jays are obviously going to be wary of uh what they might give up if they if they trade moreno who is you know you feel good about jansen and kirk right now and i, I think you could certainly do a lot worse obviously um but yeah, that's you know that's guys who end up like at the top five on on Baseball America's Top 100 or whatever. Like they don't come around every day. Like that is a lot of value to give up, even if Moreno's season maybe is going to see him slide back a little bit. You know, the power kind of wasn't there. I think as he's kind of uh, been dealing with the, the whatever the thumb or the wrist or whatever that happened last year, uh, maybe sapped his power a little bit. But still, you know, you can you, you see the highlights of him stinging the ball, and you feel like. That's that's all going to be fine going forward, especially considering the position. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a it's a big big talent to be giving up. Uh, it's a tricky question, and it, and it it may be the big domino that has to fall before you know we kind of see what else happens this offseason. Uh, we have Craig on the line here, so let's let's give it to Craig for a second, so we can talk about more about this, like you said, this domino that may be the big one in the offseason. Sure, Craig, welcome back. Good to hear from you. Gentlemen, greetings. Thanks for having me back on. Yeah, absolutely. I do think this is the first domino that has to fall because it, it's absolutely going to address something that you know you're going to be able to check check off that you wanted to to accomplish in the off season. Uh, I think uh, I mean Shai Davidi have made a great point about the St. Louis outfielders available for one of the Jays catchers. They're using Molina. I just think it makes way too much sense uh, with the Florida Marlins, uh, Miami Marlins. I, I just think a deal has to be done there. When, when the Jays and the Marlins made the trade last season uh, for Panic, uh, ending up with, with Dickerson and Simber, 
I remember the Marlins GM at the time, sort of just in passing, just sort of mentioned that she she wasn't even surprised that Dickerson ended up with the Jays because they've been calling about him for a while. They've been in talks for a while. Mm -hmm. Then they make another trade this season. So these are two organizations that I do think are maybe not thick as thieves, but they certainly have an understanding of how each other operates and and each other's systems. And I think a, a Lourdes and a catcher going to the Marlins for for like a Pablo Lopez or or one of their top. Uh, a hot, top young, high-end, controllable contract pitchers. To me, it just writes itself. Uh, I, I'm just going to be stunned if the Jays and Marlins aren't in bed with uh, on another trade this season. And as far as the catchers, I'm shopping all three, and I'm taking the highest bidder for for the two, for two of them. And whichever catcher remains when the dust settles, that's my catcher. I'm bringing a veteran. There's my catching tandem. Now, don't get me wrong here, Nick and Andrew. I'm not talking about giving away either catcher. I'm just saying I think it would be a feeding frenzy for any of these three catchers. I think the Jays would be massively pleased with the haul they get back. I think that was Nick saying, well, I'd be underwhelmed if we traded one of these catchers just for a bullpen arm. Nick, my point, it wouldn't be just a bullpen arm, Nick. It would be somebody you're very pleased with. We, we know the back end of the bullpen. That's as volatile as it gets. So it'll be somebody with a proven track record. It'll be somebody you're very pleased with. I don't think the Blue Jays are giving any of these guys away. And I think that all three, we'd be so pleased with the return haul from any of these three guys, any of these three catchers. Interesting points. I, you know, I would love to believe that's true. I'm not sure that the value is going to be there for uh, for Danny Jason. And thank you, Craig, for the call. Um, like the the track record is just it's just not very long because he's been injured so much. Like he's a he's a very very nice player. And yeah, the, I, I don't know if you look back at some of other some other catcher trades. Uh, I don't know. I think I, I think Nick's right that you know a back end starter might not be the thing. I think that Lourdes uh, in a in a it doesn't ha- isn't going to have much trade value in terms of like getting a Lopez or someone like that back. Uh, because he's only around for one more year. His contract, a lot of people thought, had an extra year of arbitration, but that's not the case. So that's going to be a, a, a trickier move. Uh, but I also, I, I think that's a great idea. And I think that, you know, looking at the Cardinals makes a lot of sense. Looking at the Mar- Marlins makes a lot of sense. Uh, and and I, the, I'm not opposed to the idea of trading two and bringing in a veteran as a, to, to complement whichever one leaves. Like, I think that's that's really smart, too. I'm not sure I'm not sure how eager the, the Marlins will be to 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 give up a great young controllable starter for that package though. Yeah. The Marlins have been a team. I mean, Craig mentioned the the trades that have literally happened with the blue Jays and they have, they seem to find common ground with them the way they have with the Oakland athletics in recent seasons. Uh, you know, they just traded for Jacob stalling. So again, you know, it is difficult to find teams that need a catcher sometimes. Like you mentioned the Cardinals, that's a fantastic fit, honestly, for the blue Jays because they're both in a similar place in their competitive cycle. And they need their Yade Molina heir apparent. I don't think that they would go for Jansen. They might want a longer term solution there as well, but they've got a ton of sort of decent position players. So you can maybe, you know, a lot of talk about Lars Newtbar over the last couple of days. Um, that might be a little bit due to the fact he's got such a fun name to say as much as him as a player, but he is, no, he's, I don't want to take too much away from him. He's an interesting breakout candidate. They've got some interesting bullpen pieces as well, but it is, it is tricky, you know, just even Craig bringing up Miami. It's like, that's a perfect fit on paper. Oh, wait, they trade for a catcher. Like, there's only one catcher spot on all of these teams, and a lot of them either have a guy they like already, they have a young guy on the way, or they're a rebuilding team that doesn't care. So it's hard to find the fit for these guys. So the idea of moving out both of them, in theory, I think if, if you do that, you've got to leave yourself with Moreno, to be honest, which sounds weird to me, but... Jansen is the injury prone guy. 
Kirk is the guy whose longer term future is a little bit more difficult to figure out at that position. And Moreno, weirdly enough, is the safest bet of the three. So if you move out both of them, I think Moreno's the one you keep. But again, it's really hard to move out one catcher, let alone two catchers. So I would be surprised if that's the way it ends up happening. But I don't necessarily think it's a poor idea from just like uh, a theoretical standpoint. Yeah, and and I think the the I don't know Alejandro Kirk playing for the Cardinals, uh, taking over for Yachty. Okay, I, I, I you know I have no love for the for the, the St. Louis fans, but uh, or that organization for, as a whole. But uh, but that that kind of makes some sense a little bit, maybe. Um, I don't know, and I think you're right there. There, there are definitely some fits, but I, I it will be it will be very interesting to see where this goes. So I want to move on to the next sort of top positive to deal with, because again, I think catching is something we're going to talk about all off season. And that's the Manoa Gosman one too. And I know that Barrios's contract says that he's at the top of this rotation. We'll see. Maybe he'll get back there. I don't think that's off the table necessarily, but Gosman and Manoa are both locked in through 2026. You have to feel really good about Gosman's contract at this point. They kind of bought in on a year and a half of him being an elite level top of the rotation pitcher. And I think there was some hesitation with him in terms of, okay, he did that with the Giants. That's a really good ecosystem ecosystem for pitching out in the NL West. Can he do it in the AL East? And he passed that test. He had a bit of a weird year at times. I think you'll probably see more from him in the future in terms of, yeah, I just think he could be better next year than he was this year, at least from just giving up runs perspective. If you go back to 2020, that partial season, since then, Gosman's uh, war, and this is the Fangraphs war that likes fit better, so keep that in mind, but has him as the fourth best starter in all of baseball. Maybe he's not at that level, but the fact that he's in that group is outstanding for the Blue Jays. And, you know, Alec Manoa, I think it's safe to say he was the most important player on the Toronto Blue Jays this year, and you've got him locked in, you know, just through team control for a long time here. A lot of teams are agonizing about whether they have stoppers at the top of their rotation. The Blue Jays do for years to come. Yeah, it is. It's a great situation. I think you know uh, the the FIP thing is is very interesting with with Gosman. You know, he's like a. You know, he, I think he was a run. Uh, his ERA was a run higher than his FIP this year. Uh, the contact management is, you know, I mean, except when they're swinging and missing, uh, you know, the balls in play got hit pretty hard, but that does seem to be like a real outlier. Like a, I'm looking at it right now, and, uh, like a 363 BABIP is crazy. I don't know if it's if it maintained. That's pretty much where it was when people were all were saying like, oh, it's like the highest BABIP of, of a starter of this many innings since, you know, since the history of the sport. Uh, so you think that that will have to go down. He does get, it does give up some hard contact. That's just sort of a trade off that you take. But yeah, like, I mean, uh like everything got better basically the home runs you, know, you would think moving from san francisco to toronto the home run rate would would be worse it wasn't the, he was walking fewer guys um you know just yeah just looked great and man you know a lot of things to complain about on that saturday game and i know we're trying to stay positive but like he was so great in that game too uh that was you know that was the kind of performance you know maybe could have stayed in a little longer i think we've all had that conversation but uh but like, yeah, he looked he looked the part of uh, of a top of the rotation guy because that's what he is. And yeah, you're right. It's a, they're, they're in a very very good spot uh, with those two and with Barrios potentially, and then with you know some of the guys that are coming behind them. We have another caller here, just me. So why don't we get to that? We've got more engagement when we just lean into positivity, I guess. Yeah, apparently. Just have to unmute yourself. Yeah, thanks so much for the call. Hi. I love the show. I'm one of your shy commenters. 
that often catches the podcast. And I'm not calling because of the positivity, because I just got here. I'm calling to say, thanks for doing this. I love the show, even though I don't always agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Well, thank you so much. That's really nice of you to say. And, uh, and we appreciate you listening and commenting and calling us here. This is a, we don't get enough engagement, so. Well, I can't always catch you live, but I always catch the podcast. I can't always catch you live, but maybe now that I broke the ice and uh, made the call, I'll I'll do it more. All right. Because <laughs> I sit here and yell it at my phone. I just don't actually hit the button to dial. Well, I'm sorry we're so wrong so often, but I appreciate you doing it. Oh, I didn't say often. Okay. <laughs> well, no, not often. I agree with well, you a lot. As long as, as long as you're entertained. I'm very entertained. I love it. Thanks. Okay. Well, thank you okay. so much. Appreciate the call. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Cut you off. But we'll, we'll talk to you again soon. Please do. Well, I mean, it, it's always good to hear that people appreciate us even when we're wrong. Because if people <laughs> stopped appreciating us the moment we were wrong, we would be bleeding listeners from the very beginning i'm not sure we'd have any left by now <laughs> this is this is accurate it's not been not, not been my rightest of season <laughs> um before we leave gosman and uh and manoa here i know that the spencer strider extension that the Braves did and the braves to be fair have become the wizards of locking down their young players they've got a core that's ready to go for the next half decade plus uh, it did open the door to start thinking about that with Manoa a little bit because we don't see as many of those extensions for the kind of guys under team control. Normally, it is the star position players who get that kind of treatment, partly because people are just disinclined to make a long, long-term investment in the pitcher, especially if they already have him under team control for a while. Where are you sitting right now on the idea of throwing some money at Manoa now and getting kind of that cost certainty and a more even distribution of uh, salary and then maybe buying out a free agent year or two. Yeah. I mean, buying out a free agent year or two sounds great. Uh, I know cost certainty is something that uh, Alex Anthopoulos would always talk about. I don't, I, I don't follow the brave ship between the front office and ownership uh, closely enough to, to really know a ton about, uh, you know, but obviously, obviously they value cost certainty. Um, I think that, you know, the Strider one, it, it kind of came out of, uh, out of left field for a lot of people. Uh, because he's a pitcher, and uh, I, I think especially, uh, but you know, obviously that's the team that was going to do a thing like that. If anybody was, uh, I you know, I don't think I don't think it's like it's not the Albies contract. It's not like one of these ones where they they're just stealing from the player basically, uh, which they've become adept at uh, and uh, and not bothered by it. The Blue Jays do seem to feel. I mean, obviously we've seen with Bichette and Guerrero like that 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 going year to year they're comfortable with uh, maybe more than Atlanta is uh, for whatever reason. Um, I think that, you know, they, they don't feel maybe necessarily that they need the cost certainty as much as, or, or, or that, you know, the, the, whatever their plan that's been bapped out with ownership is, is less contingent on, uh, on, on keeping things as low as possible. And they're, they're, they have a little more wiggle room to, you know, to go to arbitration and to, and to not risk, you know, locking in somebody who gets hurt or who, who, you know, fails to perform, you know, they'd wait till they're really expensive on the free agent market to do that. Uh, or I guess when they're extending Barrios, right? But um, but yeah, it, it's interesting, and it's something that I think you know. Why not explore it? I mean, it looked like a fair deal for both sides, and and uh, you know, Strider's going to get a couple, uh, uh, going to get certainty in terms of like his on his end as well. Uh, get a little bit more money a little sooner, probably. Um, and 
and yeah, if you can buy out a couple of free agent years, then that's just, that's that gives you the opportunity to to walk away if that's you know the financials don't line up with what you think the performance is going to be, but also the opportunity to 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 keep a guy around for longer. And, and I think nobody in Toronto would complain about Alec Manoa being around for as long as they can they can make that work for. Everything you said made perfect sense to me. I still wouldn't really do it. I, <laughs> I just tough with a pitcher, yeah. Like when you already have a pitcher locked up for years and years and years and years, like they do with Manoa right now. I like when you're getting closer to free agency and buying out those free agent years, and the guy's already kind of getting expensive in arbitrations. You're only giving him, you know, a little bit of a raise on what he's already getting to spread that money around. I like those type of moves locking down the guy this early in his career and it is this has absolutely and the blue jays have manoa through 2027 right uh (laughs) this has absolutely nothing to do with performance or me believing that manoa is not going to be a good pitcher going forward or that spending money on him is a bad idea it's just there's so much that can happen from a pitcher in the next seven years uh you know they they got barrios and that was an extension that i actually felt pretty good about but in part because he had this insane track record of durability and consistency and that's something that manoa's got a good chance of establishing but he hasn't established it yet at least on the durability side just because he's only pitched you know a couple of years now i would just wait um yeah. but you know maybe the person that j- well, I was just gonna say the like the system as it's built already for arbitration is pretty team friendly. Like it's it's hard to beat the team friendliness of that, especially when we're talking about guys, you know, pitchers who you know there's just inherent risk on all of them, like more yeah. so than position players. Yeah, there's a reason why you see the Julio Rodriguez contract happen and the Fernando Tatis Jr. and those ones significantly more often. You know, even the you know the Rays, I recall getting Chris Archer in that big deal really early in his career, and you could argue about how well that worked out. Except it uh, it got them some incredible players, so it did work out, but not really in the way they imagined. Uh, and by the end of that contract, he was not an effective pitcher. Um, we have a, a comment in the chat here from Craig, and it just it transitions into what I want to talk about next. So it's always good to have an ability to outsource your segues. He said, "Man, Man Mountain Manoa, Goss, and Tiedemann makes three, and uh, Ricky Tiedemann is one of the better stories of the Blue Jays season. Although he was not with the Toronto Blue Jays, in part there was not a ton of prospects that took these big steps forward, but he absolutely did. A 2.17 ERA and 13.4 Ks per nine on the season. He made it all the way to Double A as a 19-year-old. From here, there's not a lot you can say about his performance because he pretty much passed every test. It'll be really interesting to see where he crops up on prospect lists in the offseason. The issue from here is uh, is where we're going with innings because it was 17 point, uh, no, 78.2 this year. And that's a long way to him being a full-time fixture in the rotation. Yeah, that very much is. But, but you know, uh, he's not, maybe not knocking on the door, but I think he's, you know, he's definitely put himself into, like, the 2023 plans of, uh, you know, to an extent. Like, uh, I think they still need starting pitching depth. I think they still need to uh, make a decision on what they're going to do with Kikuchi. Uh, how they, you know, they should, they probably shouldn't have changed their tune on Mitch White too quickly, but obviously that didn't go great. Um, you know, but you know, you know, I think you have to think about uh, the fact that Tiedemann is coming. I mean, Baseball America just the, this morning I saw uh, we're talking about him being a front of the line, you know, front line pitcher for a long time, and, and uh, you know, people seem to be in agreement that the, the all the ingredients are there, and 
you know, it was a really, really impressive season. And it's going to yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what they do with the innings, how he performs at AAA. But it feels like the that test is going to be be passed. And that's 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 one guy. That's what that's one of these kind of guys <laughs> that teams need a lot of. Uh, that the Jays finally seem to really have hit on, which is it's been an incredible story because he was fourth rounder. He will just just like showed up in the pros, and, and I'm sure it was more than just showing up. But but uh, the velocity just took such a jump, uh, and he's been able to you know like harness it and command it well enough to to uh, to really overpower guys in the low minors and, and make a, a really fast uh, take a fast track up to the upper minors and and really be like in the conversation. Uh, but yeah, the innings thing will be will be interesting. It will be you know, they're they're not opposed to like a swingman type. There's there's ways to get innings around. Maybe he won't be a starter for the you know for the first part of his career. But also, yeah, I don't know. That looks like you got a a, a pretty good starter like right out of the box, and, and finding a way to make use of that would be uh, would be smart. I feel. When I think of uh, Tiedemann and the situation he's in right now, I think of uh, Aaron Sanchez in 2014. So he had uh, just over 100 innings in the minor leagues before the Blue Jays brought him up, and then they just converted him to a reliever for the end of the season there. He had 24 games out of the bullpen, 33 innings. Ended up being a total of just over 130, and he had a 1.09 ERA out of the bullpen. I'm not going to say that, oh, Tiedemann just does that. That's the exact plan. But I could see that being a scenario where, okay, well, we don't want to drive him into the ground from a workload perspective. We're getting towards the middle or end of the year. And if he just keeps starting, that could potentially happen. Or we're just going to have, have him have these bulk outings. And that's not necessarily uh, what he's going to do later in his career. And he could help the big league club, which could always use a fire baller out of the bullpen. And especially, you know, we just saw that last couple of years. Um, that is a that's a scenario I could imagine him and Yasver Zulueta, who almost did that this season. Those are both guys that I could see potentially running that playbook with. They, you know, they have to succeed too. You know, Triple A is yeah. another level. It's not a guarantee that he's going to suddenly hit the ground running and be amazing off the jump, but it kind of seems like he will be. Uh, I wouldn't bet against him. I'll put it that way. No, absolutely. I mean, so what do I think there's maybe more questions on and there's been some health issues there and he seems like he's the, you know, people seem to feel he's a long-term reliever, which, you know, that's fine. They could use that too. Another thing that they need to do that's sort of on the to-do list. And I was talking to some people about this on Twitter this week uh, is, you know, like when we were looking at uh, um, the, like the arbitration projections came out and like, you know, Trevor, uh, Trevor Richards is like, they, they, they have these guys in the back of their bullpen where they just don't have a ton of flexibility. I think there's a bunch of guys who, you know, you can't option down, and that that has hampered them a little bit. I don't have it in front of me, like which which ones have options left and which don't. But uh, but yeah, to to create a situation, I mean, and they did have a little bit of a chance to do that this year. But to create a situation where guys like like that can be can be brought up without you know without having to be like, oh, now we have to lose somebody to bring them up. Like Zach Pop's a great example. Like he's a guy who they'll who I believe can be optioned again next year. Will will probably be you know, on that, that yo-yo between Buffalo and Toronto as much as you are allowed to do that anymore. And and, and just gives them a little bit of that opportunity to uh, to shuttle uh, guys like this in uh, without, you know, losing someone from the, the, the you know, from your, your pool of talent, which is, I think, an important thing for them. So uh, so fixing that will also be uh, on the to-do list, I think, which will be interesting because they got a bunch of 40-man uh, or uh, guys they need to add to the 40-man to avoid the rule five draft because they you know Aurelvis didn't have a great year but he's got to be added there's some some interesting prospects Addison Barger's not on the 40 yet and I think he has to be added this year 
Um, so we'll see the the roster the roster building. I mean, I'm sure all of that, all of the the, the discussions and trying to figure this all out is is already ongoing. Absolutely, we have another caller on the line, which is Joe, who is a longtime caller on the show. Oh yeah, thank you so much, Joe. Yeah, uh, no problem. I I did the question I did have was about the bullpen, and it was it's really interesting because they have a lot of guys who are good but not great, and like you said, they also have a lot of guys who are just kind of out of options, who are probably not part of the long term plans. And I was just wondering. There's just so many questions in the bullpen of how you assemble all these disparate parts together. There certainly are. No, you're absolutely right about that. I think. I mean, I think you gotta. They're they're gonna have to make some hard choices, but yeah, like you have to identify. You know, you know, Jordan Romano's not going anywhere. You know, Bass and and Garcia. Uh, you know, Tim Meza didn't have a great second half, but I think that's somebody. You know, I would love to see him as maybe their second lefty. But again, you get into guys where I mean, I think Meza can be optioned, but. Uh, but yeah, there's some there there's some uh, uh, lack of flexibility there a little bit. You know, David Phelps loved to have him back, but he's, you know, he's probably not going to be back or or you know that like that that's a guy who where you can't you, you can't move him in and out the same way, right? Because he's out of options. He's an older guy, and and Richards I think falls in that category too, and is yeah like is he good enough to play a role here? And uh, can you do better? I think that's where you kind of have to look. Richards is a is a perfect example. He doesn't have options, uh, so teams tend to lean on keeping him around. But at the same time, he is a spot that you can clearly upgrade on. And then you think about Kikuchi and Mitch White, and whichever yeah. one of those potentially loses a starting spot will likely end up in the bullpen as well. So I think you know Phelps is gone would be my assumption. Uh, Pop maybe is optioned if if they're able to make some upgrades. And I you know. Trevor Richards is undoubtedly talented and that changeup can be really good at times, but he's probably the one where you know, you maybe just pull off the band-aid and say this trade, the Rowdy Telez trade just did not work out for us. And in order to bring in someone who is an impact guy at the bottom end of this bullpen, this is a guy we're going to have to lose. And, you know, I think he probably deserves a job in a bullpen somewhere around the league. Uh, like you said, Joe, the Blue Jays bullpen is, is pretty deep. It's just lacking that top, top end quality and they may have to sacrifice a little bit of one for the other. Yeah, I think that, I think that's right. And, and and thank you so much, Joe. Appreciate your all your calls this year. It's been uh, it's been delightful. We've always had fun with those. Uh, I, you know, we're we're trying to be positive, so I don't know. We, we need to linger on the bullpen too long, but uh, there's definitely opportunities there, and, uh, and and sometimes easier said than done. I mean, we've been talking about this for a long time. They got Anthony Bass, and still nobody's satisfied. And, uh, there there weren't a lot of better relievers out there to be honest and, and especially guys having better seasons like yeah Bass was pitching about as well as you could conceivably hope for for a rental uh, and was really good for them for most of the time and he just he had one of those bad ones at uh, <laughs> one of the worst times like anyone you could have gotten and i'm not saying that they shouldn't have thought about other options that there weren't other guys or that they've done enough to address the bullpen because it's been two years and they haven't. Again, let's not get down this rabbit hole on the positivity episode. Uh, but also, it's worth remembering that even guys who are really good can also just have a bad day, and that happens. Sure, but I think you're. And, but I think even your original point is is, is right. You know, to have Azuleta pop up in there uh, would be a real good outcome for them. It would be nice to see that guy uh, stay healthy and actually, you know. I, I I can probably count on one hand the number of pitches I've actually like watched him throw. Um, 
bit of a mystery bag, but a uh, hard thrower who's, uh, who's, who's really intriguing. All right. I think this is probably going to be the last one, but in some ways the most important one, uh, which is that everyone here is likely to see a much better version of Vladdy next year. And although, uh, you know, Guerrero's season wasn't maybe as bad as some people would have you believe because the offensive environment was depressed and therefore within, he still had a strong year. You can make all the yada, yada, yada there. You know, he's still just under a three-win player by fan graphs. And before the year, Zips had projected him for 5.7. Like, that is not a good outcome for him, undoubtedly, even though he had some moments. The defense is coming along. I think that's fair to say, although the metrics don't love him yet. But the things that dogged him this year was the ground ball rate, which is troubling in the sense that we've seen it before, but also potentially less troubling in the sense we've seen him solve for it before. And then the chase rate, which just really skyrocketed, uh, especially in a few of his cold streaks. And that's just never been a problem for him before. So I'm not inclined to believe that he's suddenly had that happen now. If anything, players tend to become more selective as they get older. So, you know, I, guys just don't always have their best season. And I, I'm inclined to believe that the Vladdy we see next year might kind of fall in between 2022 and 2021, but potentially even be closer to 2021. Yeah, I think that's completely fair. Uh, the, the chase rate is a bit baffling for sure. The, the the like you say, the the ground ball thing. Really, it would be nice for him to have like a, a way to get out of that faster. Uh, but I think you're right that he's he's found a way to do it. I don't know if it's an off season thing that there that the, you know it, it it did find. It felt like he was pressing at times. It felt like he was kind of wearing down at times. Maybe, uh, you know, didn't have the the best end to his season. Um, and yeah, I think you're absolutely right that you know there's the, there's all the reason to believe that he's going to be to be better off next year. And, and you know the walk rate went way down this year, and obviously I think it was it was high last year. Um, but yeah, he shouldn't. He's not a guy who should be uh, you know walking at about a league average rate. Like this is uh, that that's that's never really been his game. I think in the minors and and you know as a younger hitter, I mean he's still young, but as a the first couple of years in the league. You can understand kind of getting, you know, getting his feet wet and not walking as much and, and, and uh, you know, all those things. Like you say, guys get more selective as they get older. Uh, I think that kind of stuff will absolutely improve. But, yeah, it's, it, it, it was a weird year, and it's, uh, I think it will get better. Uh, there's a reason everybody always has believed in the talent and, and how there's a reason that he can have, like, 130 or more Wade runs created plus, and we'd be talking about uh, kind of not a, not a great year for him. Uh, and that's just the kind of thing that happens to young players sometimes. And so, I, I, you know, I don't think anyone should be concerned about it, but maybe, maybe starting to, you know, if it happens again, this uh, in, in 2023, maybe you have to start to think about what the baseline is for him. But, but, you know, having seen what he did in 2021 gives you a lot of confidence that, uh, that this year was just sort of an anomaly and that, that, that he can fix those things and continue to, to get better as a hitter. Yeah, I, I think that the faith in him really shouldn't be shaken from this year. It might be that 2021 is a little bit of an anomaly and maybe he's more of a, I don't know, 145 WRC plus guy. Maybe he's more of like an Eddie uh, Encarnacion type over the long term as opposed to someone who's like a year in, year out MVP candidate. Time is going to tell on that. Um, but I, you know, it is interesting. Like you said, people were really disinclined to give him any credit this year because the expectation was so high that it was like, wow, uh, you know, he's got a 132, but that's not good enough. And he's, you know, kind of just above average as a starter. And it's fair. He deserves that to an extent. But it's also, a, you know, it's a 23 year old player who's still finding his way. I will say, 
you know, I don't know if it's peer pressure. It has to do with what's going on with Bo, but it is a little bit weird to me that they've determined, and I know he gets his DH days, but they've determined that he's like an 160 game guy. Like he's the sort of guy that maybe you do want to give a little bit of rest to. I know that he's worked on his body a lot, but he's still a big, big guy. And in the NBA, for instance, you see kind of the bigger the bodies are, the more teams are inclined to be cautious and give them rest. And the DH thing is definitely something, but you know, he's also on the bases a lot to his credit. He's running around a lot. And I, I kind of wonder if maybe, like you said, there are times where he did seem a little bit run down or not at the height of his powers and he could benefit from playing more, you know, 147 games or something. I don't know. It's never popular to advocate for rest and advocate for let's see less of this fun star, but it is weird to me that he's kind of, they kind of determined that he's that guy. And like, I know that there's something with Bo in terms of him wanting to do it and then him seeing it in Semyon and all that stuff. Um, but I'm not sure you necessarily want to extend the same uh, philosophy to Vladi. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, it is. It's, it, it, it's surprising to look at his, you know, to look at his fan grass page and there's, you know, played 160 games in each of the last two years, especially when it's weird because the, because the like days off become such a, such a talking point for everybody. And we, well, we know why Springer was having to have him, but, uh, but yeah, he really doesn't get a lot of days off and, and, and I, perhaps could benefit. I think, uh, I think that's fair to say. All right, we're going to leave it uh, there. Just wanted to give you guys a burst of positivity in what has been a bit of a gloomy time to be following the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, we're still a little bit disorganized in this offseason. I'm not exactly sure what our schedule looks like, but we will communicate that to you largely through Twitter, I imagine, uh, and hopefully we'll be talking to you soon. Yeah, thank you so much, everybody. Thanks for the calls, and uh, we'll talk to you next week, I'm sure.